Hey, thanks for tuning in to Hillside Juniata Sermons Podcast, where our goal is to make committed followers of Jesus. We want to encourage you that if you're not already connected to a local church, that you'll find a place where you can connect, grow, serve, and go. But wherever you are today, we hope and pray that God will use this sermon for His glory and our greatest good. Thanks again for tuning in. We're in a series called Guardrails. And uh, we, what we're talking about during this series is how do we view life through the lens of what is the wise thing to do? So we're not necessarily talking about right and wrong. We're addressing life through the lens of what is wise. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy today. Uh, as you're turning there, I need to confess to you, I love riddles. Does anyone love riddles in here? Thank you, Gabe. Okay, Nico. Okay, riddles. Okay, can I share with you a riddle that I think is absolutely appropriate for today? So this is this, the riddle of the missing dollar. Has anyone heard this riddle? Some have, some haven't. Okay, here we go. So this is the riddle. Three men are on a business trip, and they show up at a hotel to sleep for the evening. Well, they, they walk up to the counter, and the, the, the man at the counter says, okay, the, one room will be $30. So each man, there's three men, they each give $10, 10 20 30 they head off to their room, okay? Well, the guy at the front realizes, oh, I overcharged them. The room is actually only $25. So he gives the bellboy $5 and says, hey, go take this back to those guys to reimburse them. So on the way back, way to the room, the bellboy says, well, I can't divide five into three. So what I'll do is I'll keep $2 as a tip and I'll just give them each back a dollar. Makes sense. So here's the riddle. If he gave them each back a dollar, that means they each spent... Nine dollars, correct? Nine times three is 27, plus the two that the bellboy kept is 28, 29. Where's the 30th dollar? I love this riddle. Is anyone like hurting right now? They're like, what? Yeah, you, how? Wait a second. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. You, can, you guys can, I'll give you the answer to this riddle, okay? The reality is there's no missing dollar. It's all in the way that the math and the money deceives us. So when we fall into the trap of going, oh my word, the missing dollar. Where's the missing dollar? And we fall into this equation that they pose to us. We we, we fall right into the trap and we go, the the dollar's missing. There's no dollar. The truth is, they spent $25. So if he gave them each back a dollar, that's 9, 9, 9, 27. Minus 2 is 26, 25. They spent $25. But if... If you fall into the trap of the math, then you, you lose track. And I think that that happens to all of us at some point or another in our lives living in America. When we fix our eyes on the missing dollar and we're constantly looking at it, we fall into the trap that money sets for us, this snare where it's all we can see and all we ever want to do is gain that dollar, find that dollar. And we're going to talk about today that, that the Bible has something different to say about that. We cannot get distracted and obsessed with the missing dollar and so plunge into its deadly snare. So I think most of us can, can see and look around. Unfortunately, many of us do, right? If you look at uh, divorce in America, money is widely known as the main leading cause for divorce. It's estimated that every, for every 10 marriages that end in divorce, four of them are because of money. One thing I know to be true of all of our financial situations in this room. By the way, if you're uncomfortable, I apologize. This is, this is going to be a great, great conversation. But of all of us in this room financially, we are all living on some percentage of our income. 
So some of us live on 50% of our income, 75%, some 100%, and some actually live beyond 100% of their income. And the reality is, is that if people do not establish financial guardrails, we will fall into its snare and into destruction and ruin. So we're going to talk about that today. The truth is, and our main point for today, is money can steal from you. Money can steal from you. And we're not... We're going to talk about that a little bit more. But how does money steal from us? I just, we want to lay before you, money steals emotionally. People live with great anxiety and stress about money. Yes, I speak for myself. Money causes such great anxiety and stress. Money steals relationally. We just talked about families that split or friendships ruined because of money. Money steals spiritually. I don't know if you've had friends who've sold their souls for another dollar. Money definitely steals morally. People who have lied and cheated and, and gave up on their morals all for financial gain. And the truth is, if we do not develop financial guardrails, money will steal from us. So this week is week four of our guardrails series. We're going to establish some financial guardrails. But I hope over the course of this series, if you've been following us, we have a, a podcast. It's called Hillside Juniata Sermons. If you've missed a few, you can go back there and watch. I don't think that we're on YouTube. I think my camera died. Nico, is that correct? It's, it's gone. So no video, but you can hear us. Uh, but throughout the course of this series, our, we hope that the Bible, that our series has made it crystal clear, we need guardrails in our lives. It is necessary that we have a lane, we, we stay within God's design for our lives, that we do what is wise. That's why we learned week one, that wisdom directs and protects. When you learn to Ask the question before everything, okay, what's the wise thing to do? You are beginning the process of becoming a person who functions and lives with effective guardrails in their life. Second week, so grateful for Pastor Ken Beekler to come share with us. He said, your days are numbered, so number your days. How every day we, we get a certain amount of seconds. And every other day, you can't store that up. And, and here we go. How can we be wise about the use of our time that we will never get back? We don't have unlimited time. We need to protect that. Last week, we talked about fleeing from sexual sin, guardrails around our sexuality. We need to protect our purity. Talked about how can you protect your ears, your eyes, and your thoughts in the depths of your heart. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. My mom reminded me of that song. That's where we need to be. And this week, we're looking at guardrails around our finances. But... If you're new with us, every series we have a scripture memory verse that we want to hide in our hearts and we read it all together. And over this series of guardrails, we are in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Let's hide this in our hearts. Let's read this together. It says this, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. May we be this church. May you and I develop guardrails where we take the guarding, the protection of our hearts, that we watch over it with all diligence. Students, absolutely for you. Begin developing guardrails around your heart, protecting your heart. Watch over your heart. Don't leave it out there for the world to have its way. And as a result, if we do this, we will have guardrails in our life. So we're in 1 Timothy. I've asked you to open up there. 1 Timothy, we're just going to jump right in. It was written by Paul to Timothy. Uh, Paul just left... Ephesians, Ephesus, 
Um, the first time he was, he was in prison, he departs from Ephesus to go visit Macedonia. But he tells Timothy, hey, you, you go back. You stay here. There's more work to be, to be done. So he left Timothy behind and he writes Timothy a letter from Macedonia to his protege, Timothy. And he gives him, gives him several instructions in 1 Timothy. And among these instructions to carry out this task was Timothy... You need to develop some financial guardrails. He warns Timothy, and so Timothy, through Timothy, us believers, that money can steal from you. So we're going to jump right into the first point. We're going to see, starting in verse 9. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 9, we're going to see the danger of money. The danger of money. So let's go ahead and, and begin reading here. But those who want to get rich... Fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. So let's, let's go back here. We're going to unpack this. He begins there with those who want to get rich. So Paul's not saying here that it is a problem to be rich. He's not speaking to those that have wealth. Okay? He's saying those who want to get rich. Those who, literally in the Greek it says this, those who want to live richly, who live richly, that in the depths of their heart their desire is for the better than, the keeping up with the Joneses, those who want to drive better and live better, vacation better, dress better, go to school better. Basically here he includes everyone who wants the newer, nicer, bigger, better, and more improved. And I think if we're honest, we all in America can easily fall into that category where it's very easy to look around and in the depths of our hearts say, yeah, I'd kind of like that. It would be really nice to live richly. I really desire to not have the burden and the stress of money so that I can have more and therefore my desire becomes easily I want to live richly. That hits very that hits home for me. As a, on a pastor's salary, you know, it hits home. We're like, yes, I would love to live richly, but there's a danger there. And unfortunately, we live in a culture that is all around us, and that danger is trying very hard to get into the depths of our heart. And look at what the danger of having this mindset does. He says, those who want to live richly, those who desire to be rich, it says they fall into temptation and a snare. That is a danger. And here's what he's saying. This is an absolute certainty. If our heart's desire is to keep up with the Joneses, is to live richly, he's saying you will fall into temptation and a snare. And that word fall there is a word to become entrapped or to become overwhelmed. It's used actually outside of biblical context when they, when they use the word, when they say you fell into the hands of robbers. It's where you're overwhelmed and overtaken and you've fallen into temptation. It's those who go through life with no financial guardrails. It says they will eventually become entrapped or overwhelmed. When living richly becomes the driving motivator in our lives, we will step in a trap. And the question is, you look around, maybe you're trapped in a car loan. You know, or maybe you've been snared by a mortgage for a house that has more rooms than you can fill. It's beyond your upkeep. Or maybe you're trapped in a credit card. When the driving motivator, it's not saying any of those things are bad to, to have these things. 
But the problem is, is when the driving motivator that plunges us into these things is the desire to live richly, is to be keeping up with what the world says is rich, when that's the driving motivator, then those are traps. Those are snares that lead to destruction. And Paul goes on, he says, and not only will you fall into this temptation and this snare, but he says, and you will fall into many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. And that word foolish is equivalent with the word unwise. What's the wise thing to do? It's to not fall into this. And that word plunge, it's, it's implying a boat sinking in the ocean. It's like sinking into the depths. If you've ever been snared by financial desires, then I, for one, can speak. It feels a lot like that, doesn't it? It feels like you can't get out. You're just sinking, and, and, and you're constantly just trying to stay afloat, and, and there's a desperation that comes with that where you're willing to do very foolish things just to get above water. And Paul's point in this verse is very simple. Living without financial guardrails in your life is dangerous. It will lead to ruin and destruction. May that not be who we are. I think we see this all over the place. But one, I mentioned this guy last sermon, Mike Tyson. In 1995, I want to share with you this illustration of Mike Tyson. He's going to bite your ear off. Mike Tyson in 1995... He was the heavyweight boxing champion. And check this out. He reported having $300 million in the bank in 95. That hurts. Okay, that hurts my brain. However, by 2003, eight years later, he managed to find himself bankrupt, but not just bankrupt, bankrupt with $23 million in debt. How do you do that in eight years? Well, let's take a look at Mike Tyson's life. Here's what he did. It's very easy to blow $300 million when he reported spending $400,000 a month to maintain his lifestyle. The story goes like this. He would go on spending strees. $4.5 million he spent on cars and motorbikes. He had 19 vehicles that he bought for friends. $100,000 he spent per month on jewelry and clothes. Wouldn't that be a nice clothes budget? $400,000, this is absolutely ridiculous, $400,000 he spent on pigeons and Siberian tigers. What? And he had to spend $125,000 per year for an animal trainer to care for the tigers. Why do you need a tiger, Mike? I don't know. He had mansions in Connecticut, Maryland, Vegas, and Ohio with gold-plated fixtures. So when we hear stories like Mike Tyson's, we wonder how in the world can you go through so much money? The reality is when you live without financial guardrails, destruction is an absolute guarantee. An absolute guarantee. You can have all the money in the world, but if you do not have guardrails, if you do not surrender to the Lord, you will fall into destruction. Money can absolutely steal from you. Money, the love of money is dangerous. The next point we see in verse 10 is the damage of money. So this is case in point. He was 23 million in debt. That's pretty damaging. But Paul actually goes in, what's the damage? Let's let's read verse 10. It says, for, and I think this gets misquoted quite a bit. You may have heard this in a different vein, but here's verse 10. For, the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. I want to pause there. 
think many of us, myself included, when I think about that verse, what do do I think? For I think money is the root of all evil is what I hear. But the reality is money is all moral. Money is not good or bad. Having money is not good or bad. It's, It's the love of money that is the root of all sorts of evil. Love, if we're honest, can cause us to do some very stupid things, can it not? I thought about sharing with you several of my blunders of that love has led me into the stupid things, but I figured you wouldn't like me anymore if I shared those, so I'm going to keep those at bay. But if love has caused you to do some stupid things, I certainly can feel your pain, and I think you understand. When you love something, reason kind of goes out the window, and it causes you to want to push up against boundaries. For the love of money is a root here of all sorts of evil. When you begin to love money, love stuff, allow it to take root in your heart and to be the fixation of your desire, of your living, it opens yourself up to all sorts of evil. You set yourself up for evil. That's why people will lie, they'll cheat, they'll exploit, they'll distort justice, etc. You fill in the blank. Money has a way of causing all sorts of of evil. It's the root of all sorts of evil. And he continues, let's keep reading in verse 10. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is the truest danger. That word longing there, it's kind of an embarrassing picture. It's to stretch out in order to touch or grasp something. Present tense. I think if we're honest, if we were asked if we love money, we would be embarrassed if we viewed money in that way. You know, kind of, to me, if you've ever seen The Lord of the Rings, it's like a picture of Smeagol or Gollum where he's like, my, I don't do the voice, but like my precious, you know. And it's really embarrassing, if we're honest, as adults, to say that, when you, at the depth of your heart, view money as this thing that's like, my, I want this, I long, I want to reach out and hold this thing, I think that we'd be a little embarrassed to share that that's really where we are. But that is what the Bible is saying. That is our heart posture when we begin to pursue stuff. When we allow culture to infiltrate us, we look a lot like this balding, nasty, hunched over golem who is saying, my precious. That hurts to think that that's what I display as a child of God. If our heart posture, when we set our affections on living richly, on lavish living, and the weight of that consequence falls in verse 10. It says the longing for that stuff, here's what it can cause you to do. It can cause you not just to experience the the ramifications of, of Mike Tyson, of being in debt, but it says it can cause us to wander away from the faith. That's a big deal. There have been plenty of people that I know that have drifted from the church and faith, and it had nothing to do with bad theology or philosophical disagreements. They just got distracted by life and stuff. And they drove off a cliff spiritually. And they pierced themselves with many griefs. And I think if we're honest, we are all susceptible to that. So we're not saying, shame on those people. How could they do that? Because it sits at our door and knocks. 
Every day you wake up, someone is screaming, some phone is listening to try to advertise to you that, hey, stuff will fulfill you. Money is what, at the depths, is what you need and what you should want. And what he's saying here, what God is reminding us, is that money will steal from you. And money will damage you. It will cause you to wander away from your faith. And it will pierce you. Oh, the damage that comes from the love of money. So, just being quick. So, because this is true, what should we do? We always want to be really practical here. What should we do? Because this is true, we want to say, master your money. Master your money. If you do not master your money, your money will master you. If you do not develop financial guardrails, money has the potential to steer the direction of your life. Naturally. If you want to know what you love, they say, take a look at your pocketbook. What are you paying for? Money directs your life when it becomes your master. And as we've just read, money will snare us and plunge us into ruin if we don't master it. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve, and here's what he puts together, you cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus knew the battle that we would have with this thing that we created called money. And he says, you can't serve both. You either serve me or you serve money, but I can't, you can't serve both as your master. If you do not master money, money has the potential to master you. So, as a church, we just wanted to give a few practical things that we can do to help master our money so that it doesn't master us. And the first one is, and I know we're all going to sigh, develop a budget. Ugh. I think if you're like me, I hate budgets, but they're so necessary. It sounds simple, but you'd be surprised how many people do not live with a budget. And I think the heart behind this is it's to keep track of what you spend. Keep track of what you make and keep track of what you spend so that you know that you're not believing, you're not living beyond your means. If you need help with that, you can ask those that are financially good in that area. Dave Ramsey is a good person to go to. He has an app, and, and we use this. It's called Every Dollar, and it just creates a, a, a budget for you, and it's on your phone. You can take it with you. But the, the reality is, whatever works for you, find a way to pay attention to, to guard, to watch over your heart with all diligence, to take what you're making and what you're spending and make sure that you're being diligent, you're being wise. The second thing is stay out of debt. Stay out of debt. Do not buy things you cannot afford. So if you're in debt, you need to get out as soon as possible because it is not going to get any better. <laughs> Budget and use excess to pay down debt. People call it the snowball system. Start with the least amount of debt, knock that out, and continue to accrue and build and knock out the largest. Maybe one of your guardrails, one of my guardrails, needs to get rid of your credit cards. Or at the very least... Take it out of your wallet and leave it at home so it's not a temptation. I know that we've had that conversation of, oh, how did we get here? It's like, we just need to leave our credit card at home. Or maybe we need to cut it up. Apple Pay does not help. That is very true. It's just like, oh, I can just, it happened. Where did the money go? It's free. Yes. As culture makes it so hard. They're like, yeah, just debt. It's great. It's good. Everyone needs it. Just pay for it. But we need to do our best to develop guardrails to stay out of debt. 
And the third thing, and this is probably the most, is learn contentment. Learn contentment. And I want to spend, I want to encourage you to spend some time this week asking the question, what is my enough? What's my enough? Philippians 4, chapter 11, Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance. He knew what it was to have a lot. He knew what it was to have little. He, he knew these things, and contentment was the answer. How did Paul learn that? In verse, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he says, For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. When we have a right view of stuff, we realize its value and we are able to put it in its place. We're able to learn what is enough. Paul learned that the value of life is never determined by what was accumulated, consumed, or collected. He learned that stuff never satisfies. You can't take it with you. So I, want, I just want to commend you. This is probably one of the most generous churches that I've ever seen. And I've been through many churches, traveling and over the course of my journey. And without a doubt, Hillside Community Church has been among the most generous Thank you. Thank you for viewing stuff rightly. And, and continue. I want to give, continue to give stuff away. I was the beneficiary of hand-me-downs this week. Thank you, Uncle Don. I Give stuff. When you rightly see your stuff, your stuff doesn't control you. When you see that, when, you've, when, when, you, when you give stuff away, when you've learned to be content, when you can enjoy what you have, bless others, and as a result, what then happens is what you have left will never have you. What you have left will never have you because you see it as the stuff, as a, as a means to bless another, that all it is is stuff. So ask that question, what is your enough? Do that work. Sit quietly before the Lord and say, God, really, what is my enough? Sit around your council and say, hey, what's your enough? What should be my enough? And then wrestle with that question. So in, cl- in closing, I just, again, I want to commend, Ben, if you want to, Come on up. I just want to say thank you. I don't know about you, but I've sat in sermons before where the pastor gets up and he has a very different sermon about money and then they pass the plates and then all, it's just like the dollar is champion. I get emotional, but if you've seen the difference, it's pretty ugly. And I'm so grateful to be a part of a people who rightly see stuff for what it is. I get to sit in meetings with leadership and I get to hear the conversation around money and I can assure you there is a healthy view of money here where people matter more than stuff that's going to burn. And that's just not our leadership, that's you. I want to thank you for giving when it hurts. For your incredible generosity. For being a church that when you see a need, you meet it. You know how rare that is? To know I can bring anybody into this fold and they're going to be seen and they're going to be loved and there's going to be people that come around them and say, hey, this is just stuff. We want to love you with it. Thank you for loving God and loving people more than green paper and stuff that'll burn. This is a beautiful building, but it's not going to last as long as you. It's not going to last as long as our friends who need Jesus. So we want to use our money as a means to share the gospel. We want to invest in people, not stuff. And that's who we are. And I thank you for that. May that never be changed. I want to challenge us to continue in that endeavor.
to master our money so that it doesn't master us, that we don't get swept away, so we'll never plunge into its ruin and destruction. Money can steal from you, so master your money. So in closing, as we, as we sing, maybe you're sitting here today and you've come to the realization that money has been your master. Or that's a, that's a genuine battle within you. That it is hard for me. I do like stuff. I like shoes. I like cups. I like, I like shoes. All right, I see shoes. I'm like, man, what out? You know, I like, okay. Maybe that's a struggle for you. We want to give you an opportunity to lay that before the Lord. And not just to lay it before the Lord, but we want to give you an opportunity to sing your way out of that love. So I want to share with you what we're going to sing. It says, there's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence. And here, I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone in your presence. When you sing that from a place where you have tasted and seen the freedom from stuff, you sing that from a different place. He is worth so much more. No thing can compare to our living hope. His presence, my favorite thing of my whole life has been the moments where I've experienced Him. His presence has been like in the room. I would give anything to experience that all the time. He is worth so much more than the stuff that they're trying to sell. Jesus is who you need. He is our greatest treasure. Sell the whole field for the treasure that's in it. Find the pearl that is Him and hang on. So we want to give you an opportunity, if that's a struggle of yours, like mine, to sing out of it, sing into it, preach to your heart and say, not today. Take this opportunity to sing and taste and see the one who completely satisfies and frees your soul. Fix, fix your heart's affection. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And like that old song, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. What? In the light of his glory and grace. So let's stand and let's sing for the one who is worthy of all of our joy, all of our love. It's far more valuable than anything. Let's sing and then I'll close in prayer.